I couldn't be religious and gay. It was impossible. I was being marketed as some sort of like teenage it girl. When a girl kissed me on my 18th birthday, a whole other world opened up to me. I was a minor nuisance. Eight Australians will tell you about the choices that have led them to unexpected places. These are some of the stories you will hear on Let Me Tell You, a podcast where real people tell incredible real stories. Look for Let Me Tell You and follow wherever you get your podcasts. Mayday. Mayday's in Canada. Mayday's everywhere. Families sometimes, just people. People who are trying to do some good. You don't own me, I'm not your property. So take a shifty little bitty eye over me. We thought we made it up. We thought it wasn't real. Welcome to Eyes on Gilead a weekly podcast dedicated to The Handmaid's Tale. There is a lot going on in this show and we think it helps to talk it out after every episode. I'm Fiona Williams and when I'm not doing this, I'm Head of Curation at SBS On Demand and I'm joined by my friends, colleagues and fellow resistors. Natalie Handley, Managing Editor of SBS Voices. Hello. Heidi Island, Channel Manager of SBS On Demand. Hello. And Sana Kadar, host of ABC Radio National's All in the Mind. Hi. Hello. We're back at it. Uh, We are three episodes into season five of The Handmaid's Tale and we have just watched episode 503, which is called Border. And this one is written by Ali Munro and directed by Dana Gonzalez. June and Moira journey to the border to send a message. We can get past Gilead's cell tower surveillance with sat phones, but it's a slow process. It might take a while to get down the chain to your guy. Meanwhile, Serena Joy attends a dinner party at the Lawrence house. I believe you already know the commander, Serena? Yes, Nick's an old friend. I haven't had the chance to meet Mrs. Blaine. Rose, please, Mrs. Waterford. And Aunt Lydia prays for Janine's recovery. Please do not punish her to teach me a lesson. I will turn things around. This one has a lot going on. What stood out? Let's go around the room. Sana, let's start with you. What stood out for you in this episode, big or small? Ooh, um, my favourite scene is that scene where Serena and Lawrence are sitting side by side in what looks like their thrones in the Lawrence household and the whole time I'm going, oh, my God, is this relationship about to happen? I was definitely duped at that point and that was a beautiful <laughs> shot too. So that's my my highlight and what stood out to me. Yeah, there is so much in that and then it reaches a delicious conclusion, but <laughs> let's not <laughs> yeah. get ahead. But, yeah, the Thrones, Thrones was a nice touch. Haiti, what stood out for you this week? I think what stood out for me this week were all of the really unexpected reactions that came across Serena's face throughout the episode. <laughs> uh, like there was the one in the hotel room where she asks Tuella to leave and then he gets up and leaves and she looks so shocked. <laughs> Like she's been jilted. (laughs) Yeah, there were just so many moments where she was caught by surprise and caught off guard and her reactions were priceless. (laughs) Yeah, that one in the hotel room, she catching her breath a little bit, um, telling him that, you know, which doesn't want people, Mm. i.e. him, to get the wrong idea. Yeah, it was a little bit, you know, clutch the pearls, (laughs) fan, fan the throat. It was, yeah, a little bit spicy. Nat, what stood out for you this week? Yeah, I realised later that it was an episode where both Janine and June got some commentary on their personalities and especially as birth mothers. Mrs Putnam 
said that she, in a nice moment, said that she won't let Angela forget where she gets her nice personality from. Mm-hmm. But then Mrs Mackenzie at the dinner table says she can't understand how Hannah is so sweet while Agnes is so sweet considering who her birth mother is. It's one of God's great mysteries how our sweet angel came from that devil of a woman. <laughs> I just thought, poor June, she just can't, she just can't get a break, can she? <laughs> Yeah, interesting subject of genetics there. (laughs) Good ones. Yeah, for me it was looking at two different ways that people had stunted goodbyes. You mentioned the Naomi scene where she's farewelling Janine in the hospital. Happily it's not the end but she says a lovely goodbye Mm -hmm. and then elsewhere Serena to Tuello and vice versa. They're saying their goodbyes but happily... Not to be because she gets her marching orders and <laughs> right back on the plane with the tail between her legs. But um, I loved that, you know, there are these quite big moments thinking of the occasion where people are saying goodbye to someone and then it's, no, surprise, <laughs> life's getting in the way so they're not at all. And then I, I guess another hint of that is Nick and um, June on the phone where it's kind of a goodbye but it's mm. never a goodbye with those two. But, yeah, maybe that's a third that is yet to be resolved. <laughs> So let's get into the guts of the episode. In this one, we open in the wake of last week's funeral threat being lobbed at June in front of the world. And everyone in the house, Moira, June, Luke, is reeling from seeing Hannah being used so spectacularly and so visibly. And June is clutching that little pic of little Hannah that uh, Nick gave her. And she's fixated on the colour, as were we. She, you know, her mm. only lines really in that scene are, what was she wearing? What was, she what wearing? was that colour? What was she wearing? What the fuck what was the that colour? Like <laughs> four first lines in this episode. You know, wondering what does this mean? You know, we colour, colours mean everything. Yeah, let's talk through that scene. That just the mood in that household after last week. I thought it was funny that as soon as she says, "What was she wearing?" I knew she meant colour. Yeah, not not what, what was that dress? <laughs> yes. What does that literally mean to our yeah. little girl's life? Yeah, and the color is interesting. It's a great choice because purple is made by mixing blue and red, right? Like, so yeah. she's literally half wife, half handmaid. She could go either direction. Mm. So that was that was clever. I thought. Yeah, both are mums. Like, yeah, <laughs> and. Moira, as well as thinking, what was Mark doing? She was like, what was he there with Serena? What's he doing there? I think Luke's saying like maybe he's flipped Serena into being a witness. But the Moira and June dynamic here and across the episode, you know, they've been at loggerheads and and Moira doesn't quite understand June at the moment. They're a little off kilter, especially June's volatility. She reluctantly offers up that there is this group at the border who can get messages to other people and she's been sitting on that who knows for how long. (laughs) June is displeased and June rightly makes the point. Moira doesn't get to make the call on where June's head's at. She's her own person but, uh, yeah, I think that connects with um, Moira and she says, I'll ask them to meet with the stipulation for Hannah, (laughs) not for you, June. And I think pointedly here she does also make the point that, you know, no men are allowed, this is just just the girls are sorting out this one that, you know, does sit in stark contrast intentionally, of course, but with, with all the men making the decisions in Gilead, I think it's a nice um, marrying point to seeing the high commanders later on calling the shots. It's it's mm-hmm. good studying contrast, the intentional gender flip here. Yeah, I love having these new little bits of kind of world building on both sides of the border, this idea that there's this collection of women along the border at little outposts and they are May Day, which we kind of find out later on. Mm. And even more importantly, we find out that some of the people connected to that group 
are also connected to June um, mm. in really interesting ways. And it's it's wonderful to kind of have all these whispers of May Day throughout the season and then start be able to actually start piecing together how May Day really does fit together in the real world. And it's very grassroots and it's led by women and they're angry and they are armed. And uh, yeah, I just really enjoyed watching that side of May Day get unraveled in this episode and revealed to us. The mention of Mayday in a couple of scenes, it, that really hit me a little bit because it's sort of I, I love the way that this this season is maybe more than others in conversation already with the past seasons and, and referencing other episodes. And I'm just thinking like this revelation of what Mayday is and it is a real thing and that, you know, hits really strongly with June because the whole season three was her trying to find it and then coming to the realisation of there is nothing. We've made this up. It's just, we're trying to mm. think someone's going to save us, but we have to save ourselves. So it's like I know that some fans were frustrated with season three because they just thought it kind of went nowhere and it took its time. But, mm. yeah, it was so important to build that world and that build that realisation where she comes to think, well, that's nothing. Yeah, I really love the way that landed in, in this season. I, I had a little lump in my throat when, um, when June said that. When the woman first said that she was one of the women who June saved, June didn't seem very moved by it. Like I was incredibly moved by that. But June <laughs> wasn't. It's like she couldn't really take a compliment or mm. or just couldn't accept that that was something great that she did. But then later when she gets told that she's actually Mayday and what like she did was part of being Mayday, the look on her face yeah. was mm. she was finally so pleased and proud, you know, like mm. and so I just thought, oh, it wasn't enough to actually meet someone who she helped. It was actually feeling that she was actually a part of that group, that she actually belonged to something bigger that actually yeah. is what sort of gave her those feelings. Yeah. Just backtracking slightly, when she first met that woman who was someone that she helped, you know, free, I love that she says, I thought, I thought you'd, you'd be taller. taller, which is like this universal thing people say about celebrities when they finally meet their, like, <laughs> idols in real life, right? <laughs> and I was like, wow, so June, June is like a an idol in this world. Of course she is because she's done a lot. But it just reminded me of how she's viewed by the other women who have fled Gilead. And it also reminded me how like June is every bit as, uh, this is not new, but like it just was a reminder to me that June is as brilliant and as a strategist and as incredible as Serena is in her Mm. own right, right? Last episode, I was talking about how Serena is this incredibly powerful person who can pull stuff off. So is June on the opposite end. And so that scene just reminded me of like, these two women in their juxtaposition and how kind of crazily amazing they both are. Yeah. Yeah, I love that line. I thought that was really relatable. And it also made me feel slightly bad in that, like, for a long time, I think a lot of us have been finding June slightly annoying or a bit much or whatever. And it made me feel bad for feeling that because I was like, Serena is easy to love slash hate because she's essentially terrible. Every now and then does something good. And you kind of like buy into that. But you're like, no, your your true nature is you do horrible things. That's who you are. You know, she's kind of a clear cut character in a way to me. Whereas June is a good person who's been forced to do all these horrible things, who's been forced to use people and you know, make all these um, moves. And so she's a trickier person to love because of the situation she's been in. But it made me feel bad for feeling that way about her. You know, I wanted to be, I wanted to be reminded and I was glad I was reminded of how just amazing she is. And I think it's important that Moira is here for this too, because we are Moira, I think in the, in the, you know, Moira (laughs) and she go way back, but it's complicated and she thinks June's a messy bitch. So it's like, it's (laughs) so, yeah, but it like, I think to have Moira in that scene and we see Moira seeing this interaction. Yeah. And and the woman is Lily who 
gives June her credit. Um, yeah, and we, we see Moira see that and maybe it's a light bulb goes off like, okay, yeah, maybe I'm yeah. not giving her enough credit. <laughs> and Lily is played by Christine Coe, who she was just recently so great as Nina in Only Murders in the Building season two. She was um, introduced mm-hmm. in there. But, um, yeah, she's she's great and great voice and, yeah, I look forward to seeing maybe an expanded role that she might play across this season. There's also a moment where Moira gets a little bit of cred among these women as well because do you remember when they get introduced to some of the women? This is Moira and June Osborne. Introduces them by saying... They're both in Boston. And June June did the the Angels Angels flight. flight. So there's this kind of, um, you know, reputation that precedes, especially June, but also Moira too in a way because she was present in Boston and like everything that goes with that as well. Lily also mentions they've got a couple of girls in the Jezebels and, of course, Moira was there. She was a Jezebels girl. Yeah. For May Day, you know, embedded um, in Boston. So, yeah, I think that's a nod, nod to her as well. Yeah, just to see their legacy kind of does loom larger. That's good. So then, you know, they're there to try and get the message to Nick about Hannah. So that, that's the kind of the intention of their of their visit there. But, um, yeah, that expands as the episode goes on. But first we're back in Gilead with Serena and Tuello. You know, different response to how the funeral went down. Serena's high... <laughs> Feeling great, getting flowers from Christopher Broderick. There's a high commander in DC who's got his own calling card that he's sent. So leadership is very grateful. And Tuello is admiring, you know, the power that she can attract there as well. He's there kind of quite impressed that she's getting these bouquets from important men. And did anyone else notice he is wearing a teal coloured tie in this scene or or maybe even in the whole episode? (laughs) I hadn't noticed that, but I noticed he's the smiliest we have ever seen him in any episode. Usually he's so po-faced and serious, but he was like teeth flashing everywhere. He was loving life in Gilead. (laughs) (laughs) I love in this scene as well, um, Serena does... Get to what we kind of alluded to last week. You know, it, you couldn't possibly be gathering information to take back to the yeah. Americans or the Canadians. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he said, no, not at all. Like, <laughs> sure, Mark, we believe. <laughs> he was giddy to be there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then that's where, of course, she says we wouldn't want people to get the wrong idea. Hint, hint. It's getting hot in here. I think in that scene with the flowers, though, is a bit of a reminder of what Serena brings to Gilead, which yeah. is how which is what a great wife she would be, how connected she is, all of those like soft power skills that she has, that she can that she can become a dynamic duo with somebody. <laughs> yes. Yeah, she's definitely fishing in this episode for, for the other half of that duo, isn't she? I found this scene so confusing because I'm like, is she making advances on him? She's She really seems uh, to be making advances she on him. She does kiss him. Why? Is she just enjoying kind of flaunting the kind of sexual power she has over Tuella or does she have some kind of agenda that's not realized in this episode like I it was very confusing to me yeah I did I did wonder like does she actually have you know kind of small feelings for him because yeah because she does kiss Mm. him by the end right and I'm like what is happening what is going on I was very shocked yeah she's she's like over over here flirting ridiculously with Tuello on multiple occasions in the episode and then she's over here trying to woo a a Gilead commander husband you know like (laughs) while disparaging her dead husband as well (laughs) saying like he's not strong enough to have kept around (laughs) I thought that was like so fantastic actually because she was kind of on a high thinking that she had just yeah. landed herself a very powerful husband and um, and a way to come back into Gilead. And basically we know what she loved about Fred, which was that 
which was that scene when they were dancing in all their yeah. full glory. And yeah. I think she thought that she had found that again, but even better. Mm-hmm. But of course, it's a marriage. If that marriage was going to happen, it's a marriage of power. It's not a marriage of sex. So she is like staring down the barrel of kind of like never having sex again. And there's Twello. And it's kind of like, well, <laughs> when in Rome, you know? <laughs> oh my God. Amazing. <laughs> and yet. Nothing happens. It's a peck on the cheek and then, uh, yeah, bye-bye, Serena. I feel like I should be wiser to this show's scripting, but, like, I always fall for the breadcrumbs they're leaving and then they bait and switch me and I'm like, oh, why didn't I see that coming? Of course she's not <laughs> staying and marrying Lawrence. Silly me. <laughs> well, I, well, I can't believe it. After last week when I was like, surely there must be a man in Gilead who wants, you know, a beautiful <laughs> wife and a baby. Why didn't I think of Lawrence? You know? <laughs> it was. <laughs> Hello? That's why. Like, he's not going to have a bar of that. I love that he was stringing her along. Yeah. Because we were all there watching on when she and Winslow and Fred paid that nighttime visit to the house and made him rape June while his wife listened. There's no way. That's true. So it was very sweet revenge, I think. Oh, I had forgotten that because I was like, this is mutually beneficial if they were to get together, you know, especially also they're both like intellectual powerhouses of the movement of Gilead. But you're right. That's what Serena did. That's why he's never going to get with her. Never going to happen. And I think also because he actually genuinely seems to love his wife a lot Mm. and I think that she would just be mortified if um, he ended up marrying Serena. Yeah. But the question does still hang. Like there's no place in leadership for a single man is what Commander McKenzie says and like... I don't think that point's disappeared. So what's going to happen with Lawrence? Well, you see, because like everything is always about power, right? And I think that this showed just how much power he has. If there's anyone in Gilead who can get away with not being married and not having a baby, it's him. He's probably like the only one, you know, yeah. but he has he has that much power that he doesn't need to marry Serena. You know, she needs him, but he doesn't really need her because all the skills that like that like she can bring, he doesn't give a shit about. Mm. You know, he doesn't want to make people comfortable at his house. You know, he actually wants to make them uncomfortable. That's what he <laughs> likes. <laughs> this is interesting. This because at the end he says there's no place for unusual women in Gilead. Mm. And now that's making me think you're an unusual man. Mm. Does your line foreshadow there is actually no place for an unusual man like you? Or perhaps what you're saying, Natalie, that, you know, they will accommodate. Yeah, it's interesting. And also, I mean, Hi, Commander McKenzie. Seems like a real piece of work in the void that Fred has opened up. You know, things may not be the same. The rules don't apply that where, um, you know, Fred needed Lawrence, um, but Mackenzie seems a whole nother piece of work. I think this episode spent a lot of time establishing Mackenzie as the new centre of power in Gilead and making a big point about how he is different and he's not going to, he's watching people like Nick. He's actively going to pursue people like June and it's going to be a very new world order uh, Mm. with Mackenzie at the top. Centre of power in Boston, Gilead, because he does reference leadership in DC being very on board with Serena doing well abroad. So Mm. we still get the sense that this is very much a Boston-based leadership, you know, scenario we're looking at. Yeah. And he makes the point, well, we get more details on Mrs. Nick Rosie, Rose. Yeah, she um, finally gets a name. Woo-hoo. Absolutely. Um, so, you know, she's the daughter of an even higher up high commander mm. and there's a lot of curiosity about how they met and obviously why they met and, you know, 
putting two and two together. So, you know, the inference being that he chose the daughter of a high-ranking high commander and that she is receptive to maybe some mischief of a Mayday kind. So, yes, that was hinted at and uh, Mackenzie has made a point of saying he's very good friends with her dad. Jason Butlerhana is the actor playing Mackenzie and I'm sorry we hate you already. (laughs) (laughs) You're doing a very good job. (laughs) He is is the guy in the trailer who says, June Osborne is a cancer. We have to cut her out. Oh, very punchable. (laughs) He does also say to Nick, um, you know, treat her right, talking about Rosie. And I was like, what does treating a woman right look like in Gilead? What what counts as that? I was curious. I found that line kind of funny because how anti-woman Gilead is. He's, like, he does seem to love Rosie, though, you know, like the greeting he gave her was just yeah. so effusive. And so he really seems to care about her a lot, which is, and he also seems to really care about Hannah a lot as well. So it's kind of funny yeah. that we're seeing these like terrible men, but we're also seeing this other side of them as well. But I thought that he, like the relationship between Nick and Rosie Serena understood it immediately and I think yep. Mackenzie got it wrong, you know, because, I, I, like, Serena is so cluey. As soon as she knew that Rosie knew the Mackenzies, like, she knew exactly why Nick was with her because it would give him access to Hannah, yep. whereas Mackenzie is just assuming that, like, Nick is just a typical Gilead guy on the up and up and that he's just using her for her proximity to power and I thought, oh, he's got that wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I hadn't clocked that. Good point. I had not clocked that. Mm. And in the call, June does say, can you maybe move there? But he probably doesn't need to because he's got the relative Mm -hmm. connection. And Mrs. Mackenzie, Amy Landica, who we've seen before, and there is the reference in in the recap at the start of this episode to, was that first episode of season three when June went back to get Mm -hmm. Hannah and they had their interaction? But, yeah, Amy Landica is back. She's joking about what a wife should do about their dinner party conversation, but good Lord, hers leaves a lot to be desired. (laughs) Um, Yeah, kind of suggesting we would never want Agnes to find out something terrible had happened to her mother. (laughs) What are you suggesting, you terrible woman? Um, But it's also quite funny there at the dinner table, obviously, Amy Landicker is married to Bradley Whitford, so it's her talking about a second marriage. Wasn't there some great framing at this dinner party scene, the way we had the Mackenzies framed together and then often Rose would be completely shut out of the frame and we'd just have Nick and Serena together, like almost like they were a couple (laughs) reacting to this conversation about June and then there's Lawrence in the middle like a game of tennis, like flicking backwards and forwards, (laughs) watching them all as they react. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) So on that conversation point about not wanting anything to happen to June, let's see if I've read that correctly because I think that we've commented over the years that June also seems to have nine lives like I know that we said that about Janine but also it was kind of like how does June sort of keep getting away with things or like mm. why, why, why would she get posted somewhere else or I'm, you know I can't quite recall the stuff that we've said but I know in the past <laughs> we've sort of like sort of wondered like how is she not getting more punished for this that kind of sounds like she hasn't been punished because the Mackenzies actually have intervened and saved her because they didn't want because they love Hannah so much that they didn't want to harm Hannah's mother oh. Yeah, Mackenzie makes a line that... I've come to regret my former interventions on her behalf. behalf. I did wonder about that. I wondered, was that any time... You know, Hannah's been used throughout the years. There's been some catch-ups and visits and things. Like, obviously, Fred um, has been in contact about that or maybe Serena straight to um, 
does Mrs. McKenzie have a name? I don't know, Mrs. McKenzie. <laughs> so somehow, you know, they've, they've made contact with Hannah to bring her to the torture chamber, to bring her to uh, to the school and, and to have June look on that time when she was yeah. swimming in the car. I don't know. What else has there been? Yeah, other interventions. Because there, there has been a couple of meetups as well arranged, um, clandestine meetups. So I wondered if he was referencing allowing June to see Hannah a couple of times when yeah, he said that. Yeah. Mm. I feel like we got the impression at those times that it was like the Martha who had smuggled her out or whatever, um, um, and the and the commander that's true. and the wife had a known about it. So I was wondering if it was maybe to do with the aftermath of her visit to the Mackenzie's household. Did mm. the commander potentially have a say in what her punishment or otherwise was after that and maybe kind of yeah. helped scale it back a little bit to be forgiving? It was pretty light on, yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, good point. And also when the Martha got caught and June had to participate in the hanging, you know, could have been worse for June as well. I mean, it was pretty hard to actually hang the woman, but don't get me wrong. But, yeah, there could have been more serious consequences for June. So where do we think they're landing now? So in the past they haven't wanted to harm the mother of their child, but she's a cancer who needs to be cut out. Like what does that actually mean? What are they happy to do now? Well, they also know that she's responsible for Fred, Fred's death, right? But they're kind yeah. of happy about that, right? No one misses mm, Fred, yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they were probably going to kill him anyway. No, but they did want to put him on trial, as you said. You know, he did want to give him a trial. So June did rob him of that. I took, was like, a, I actually right. took that as on like trial in like in like quotation marks. You know, I, I yeah. took that as we actually wanted to kill him ourselves. <laughs> no, that's exactly what I mean. You, by trial, it's a euphemism for we wanted to get to him, not yeah, June. Yeah. But yeah, she denied him that opportunity. Yeah, I read that conversation as as the Mackenzies basically saying we want June dead. We don't we don't want Agnes to know about it at least yet. Maybe when she's a bit older because she's a strong girl. And the reactions on Nick's face were horrific. And the, the reactions on Serena's face also looked a little bit shocked. Like, she didn't want June killed. That's, you know. Oh, really? That's her arch enemy. She wants to have some have some fun back and forth with her. <laughs> well, she wants yeah. to do it. Yeah. And, then, and then later on the phone call between Nick and June, he outright warns her yeah. about the Mackenzies, suggesting that, you know, she's basically got to watch her back. Mm. Yeah, this is this is the threat hanging over June now. Yeah. Mm. And on Nick, honestly, if he is going to be a spy, he needs to work on his body language. <laughs> <laughs> Dude. <laughs> he needs to learn a thing or two from Lawrence, uh, including laughing in the face of Tuello when he wants to catch up with him and not doing it maybe on in a visible, <laughs> highly lit bandstand pergola, whatever it was, area. Yeah. <laughs> Terrible. Yeah, after Mackenzie came up to him, he's he like sort of says fuck under his breath as Mackenzie walks away. And I'm like, what did you think was going to happen? You are totally visible. This is so obvious. What are you doing? Exactly. Honestly, our guy has to get his act together, truly. It is kind of funny that he's, a, he's kind of a spy who was left out in the cold. <laughs> <laughs> Very much. Bumtish. And then from there, we obviously, Serena stays a little while. So that's the scene where she tries to make the play for Joseph. Okay. Like, aside from what they were actually saying, weren't these two actors just so good together? Like, mm. I don't think, have we not really seen the two of them, just just the two of them having like a quiet mm. interaction like that? Because yeah. it was such a joy to watch that. Yeah. That I actually kind of wanted them to get married, you know? I just thought. <laughs> 
<laughs> I didn't think they would be perfect. I was like, you guys are both incredibly smart. You are the intellectual powerhouses of this movement. It's a perfect match. <laughs> it was a, a kind of wonderfully intimate scene that kind of took you out of the world of Gilead for a moment. You can almost almost imagine them just as two regular people in the world for a minute there. Yeah, he's remembering being a lecturer and his students talking about toxic masculinity. Yeah, Yeah, reminiscing about the before times, but no. (laughs) The other thing about their interaction was I actually feel that I learned a little bit more about Joseph in this because, Mm -hmm. and he kind of fooled me as well. Like I actually thought for a while there, like I was sort of taking that bait and thinking that he was kind of into the idea, especially once she put his hand on her belly to fill the baby. Mm. And the look on his face, and I thought, oh, he loves children. He actually loves babies. And I thought that is because I have never really understood why did he create Gilead? You know, like he's Mm. too smart, you know, like why, like considering what we know now and in how he's tried to help June and he seems to have regrets, well, why did he do it in the first place? Um, But I think I now see a little bit of his motivation, which is the whole purpose of Gilead really was to... um, For the babies. Yeah, it was because the environment was so terrible or something Mm. and that they want to have more babies. And I thought, oh, that actually makes sense to me now. Mm. That said, I don't feel that um, in Canada we really, considering Gilead was created because of these terrible environmental troubles and the low birth rate, that never gets discussed in Canada, you know? (laughs) That's true. I'm sure it's a problem there too. Well, yeah. I mean, the borders. The border's not going to stop border. environmental destruction, you yeah. know, on a global scale. Because we've, because remember when the, was it the Brazilians that were coming to Gilead to investigate? Mexico. Mexico. You know, so this is a problem elsewhere in the world as well. But you're right. It doesn't actually ever get, I mean, maybe that's why there's Gilead supporters in Canada. There are a certain group of people who are worried and think Gilead's the answer to these problems. Or they're just Gilead supporters for other reasons because they love God or their interpretation <laughs> of God. <laughs> but, yeah, so, so considering this, so I feel like in that scene I finally got a little bit of understanding about why he might have been involved in creating Gilead in the first place. And that's why I thought that he actually might have said yes to Serena. But anyway, we know how that turned out. <laughs> well, it's a no for now. <laughs> <laughs> True. Never say never. episode three, guys. (laughs) So Mark's waiting outside while she's talking to Lawrence because obviously he's her ride home because then they're at the hotel and she calls him inside to say goodbye and um, so on and so forth. So then the next morning she shows up to the high commander's thinking, although there is that little moment outside with Lawrence where she just wants to double check. <laughs> Did you call this? And is this, you know, are we a thing? Are we on? But how terrifying would it be to have someone just say to you, I'm sorry, Serena, and then walk straight in the room? Her gait as she walks in there is much reduced. Yeah, but we love it. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> sure do. Yeah, I'm fine with it. So when he says, do you have some kind of expectation of me, that was, oh, mm-hmm. that's a bit of, there's your first clue. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, what she's offered is not that bad, except the fact yeah. that kicking her out of the country that she helped create. That aside, could have been worse. Basically, she's becoming, what, 
diplomat at large, basically. I, I love she was very quick to ask for the staff and the budget. She said oh, that was amazing, wasn't it? <laughs> well, I'll need a staff. <laughs> How can I make this work for me? So respect that, but they don't have, you're an unusual woman and Serena, we don't have the proper infrastructure for unusual women to live within our borders. Is it like she's just falling for the same crap again, which was mm. thinking that there is a place for someone like her there. Like they mm. want her to be a, a wife, you know, they don't want her to be have any kind of power or, or even do machinations in the background, no matter how skilled that we know she is and that, and I think that Lawrence knows how skilled she is. They don't want a woman to do that in Gilead. And yet yet here she is, minus a finger, still thinking that she might be able to do that. It's like, oh, my God, woman, like, wake up. It's yeah. not going to happen. And Mark tried the night before to tell her that. Yeah. He says, I spent so many years studying this country. Is it different than you expected? Not particularly. Service level beauty doing its best to paper over a stunning amount of hypocrisy. That was a good line. Yeah, it was. <laughs> Do you get With Serena too? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And he's, you know, warning her that you're you're finally free. Are you sure you want to throw it all away? But she's ever the patriot, confident, thinking that she's going to hook up with Lawrence or someone else. So she'll be right. But, yeah, next day, oof very different mood. Also that night, Mark does say to her that men in power can't resist showing how much power they have in relation to Lawrence, not having the meeting with him that night when he tried to, but obviously it's a foreshadowing of the next day. But again, very much in contrast to women in power, this Mayday group who, you know, they truly have walls of remembrance to they're dead and the women that they got out. So, like, there's a constant reminder of why we're doing this and, like, the human cost of doing it all and just just the shared power. No one's at the top. It's not a triangle of hierarchy. It's everyone just manages their own attempt to get everyone out of this hellscape across the border. So, yeah, I thought that was a very nice contrast. I also like that line Lily put to June uh, in the episode that whenever women do you know, outstanding things. Mm. They always put it down to luck. You know, yep. they never own it. Unlike the men of Gilead. Exactly. Yeah. No, they <laughs> don't do outstanding put... things, but will own everything that they can. <laughs> Absolutely. And they will claim credit from other people's oh. things too. Also fun fact that they're blaming America definitely for the killing mm. of um, Fred. They've crafted this entire narrative very quickly about that. So that was good. I think Lawrence has had a lot to do with that as well because he very much wants to put it all on America. <laughs> Fair. Deflect, deflect. It was good. Yes. <laughs> so on the strength of that, Serena, with her checking account, I guess, and her staff will be heading back to Canada. I, I do enjoy seeing her back on the plane mm-hmm. with no explanation, just taking quietly taking up a seat <laughs> up the back. <laughs> very humbled. I love that cut too where she's walking out of the chamber and then it cuts straight to her in the plane walking through. I really like that edit in particular yeah yeah that was a good one (laughs) and the director of this episode um we've mentioned um dana gonzalez is a cinematographer originally by trade and you know shot uh, fargo and directed some fargo too but yeah has has directed this ep and the next one coming up so he's got a block of two here there is some interesting light play in this episode, especially when June and Nick were on the phone. Mm. He was practically drowning in mm-hmm. sunlight. Yeah. Like in every shot, it was so oversaturated. It was That was really interesting because I don't think we've seen that before. And I wasn't entirely sure what that was communicating at that point. Maybe it was just, you know, a pretty way to depict that scene. 
But I, I definitely noticed that. And then also when Serena was entering the chamber, she's backlit and like drowning in sunlight as well. And then it enters the darkness of the mm. commander's chamber, which why do they hate light? Why are they always sitting in the darkness like vampires? But <laughs> those are sort of some of the light things I noticed in this episode. Mm. I thought the the light with Nick when the phone call was happening was a, a throwback to Nick and June's meeting where she brought along baby Nicole in that house mm. and there was a lot of that a beautiful scene mm. in front of the window that was quite well mm. backlit with the sun coming in. Mm. I like the fireplace was burning there as yes. well while he was on the phone yeah. to her just over the shoulder, some embers. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Keep those fires burning. Mm. Mm. I guess for, for me the um, the light streaming in on Nick felt very, um, just felt very pure. Like that's mm. what he represents for her. He really is, he's like a little bit of, um, I don't want to use the word purity in the wrong way, but like a little bit of purity in Gilead where there was no other agenda it was just love it was just it was just it's just pure love which I thought was um quite nice but she was so opposite of that like she was really in a dark place Mm -hmm. and on while we're talking colors and um light sources uh Moira obviously still dressing in maroon. She's she's never really shed that colour. Oh, I didn't notice. Mm-hmm. Is she really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I noticed that as well. A couple actually. of layers of it. Yeah. <laughs> um, but June is in khaki, like an army fatigues kind of outfit. Yeah. Now. So yeah. Um, Martha esque colours almost. Yeah. She's lost that red riding hood jacket that she massacred Fred in. <laughs> it's probably the dry cleaner. <laughs> That's <scene>. true. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, we'll save the very last moment of the episode, but let's backtrack a little bit because there's another storyline going on here with Lydia, Janine and Esther in the hospital, just with the one (laughs) colour, just the white hospital. And Lydia. Speaking about characters in bad places like June, gosh, Lydia's not in a great place this episode, eh? (laughs) Yeah, 100%. She is racked with guilt. Well, she takes it out on Esther, Mm. who is... You know, lifeless. There's there's looking for brain um, patterns on, on the screen there in the in the hospital room. The beeps. I was listening for a Belinda Carlisle song. <laughs> <with> the beeps. <laughs> but um, Lydia, when she slaps her, you know, all by all accounts, lifeless body, no change in the beeps. It doesn't register in in the body lying on the bed. So that's, that's true. Not a great sign. When I said last week that Esther was going to get punished. I did not have in my mind that she was going to get slapped while um, being in a coma. <laughs> I couldn't have predicted that one. <laughs> Who could predict that? Yes. But, I mean, when Lydia, I guess we could have, but, yeah, go on. It actually was classic Lydia, though, wasn't it, where she um, where she just lashes out and then she feels immediate regret. Yeah. I, mean, I just thought this is just now a pattern with her. It's like it's time to learn from this Lydia. <laughs> I know. If not now, when? <laughs> All of the times. But then she immediately goes into Janine's room and pleads to God, you know, wails basically, you know, she does not deserve this. I know you're unhappy with my behaviour sometimes. I've lost my temper. I've made choices. I was trying to keep my girls safe. So, I mean, way to make it about you, Lydia, but also it's <laughs> what a moment. That delivery is pretty epic. And she promises to turn things around. I will do things differently. I promise you. I promise you. Please. That's true. Balls in mm. your court, Lydia. 
<laughs> it is so rich for Lydia to say that Janine doesn't deserve this because she didn't deserve to lose an eye either, did she? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like or get sent but, to the colonies, yes. or to be a handmaid. Quite frankly, <laughs> just any yeah. of it. <laughs> but you know, better late than never. Yeah. But this is a real turning point for Lydia, isn't it? Like this is... Potentially. She's put Mm. it out there. She's made a promise to God, to her God. Very interesting. Wink, wink. Well, I think this kind of makes sense because the Lydia that we've seen has kind of been um, her reactions and her behaviour has been pretty much kind of the same over the last few seasons and wondering how this character is going to evolve and what her role is going to be. And already we are learning about the power that she has. So interesting that she gets um, Naomi Putman there with baby Angela and she says, thank you for coming. And Mrs. Putnam is like, well, I kind of had no choice. And, <laughs> and I'm like, didn't you? Like, why didn't you? Like, what was that conversation? You know, like yeah. I feel like we're still getting bits of like hints or examples of the power that Lydia does actually have. And so, so it's interesting now to see that, She's having this turning point moment. So I feel that Lydia's character is evolving, so it's going to be curious to see what she does with that power. Yes, very, very interesting. Yeah, I too missed not seeing the scene where um, Lydia convinced her to come, but, yeah, I think. Also another callback to previous episodes, the hospital scene, in which Angela, Charlotte, confused by all these baby names, <laughs> the small child, Janine's baby, you know, was fighting for life and it was the human touch yeah. that, that Janine offered that apparently brought her back to life. That was that. Great... I love that scene. Mm. And that always was a beautiful scene. Could that yeah. adorable little child look any more like Janine and any less like Mrs. Putnam? <laughs> it was a, a wonderful moment when she was sitting down on the bed, kind of, you know, peeking out at her mother. When when she entered the room as well, um, you know, as Naomi was carrying her little slippers, like on her little feet, swinging yeah. as she walked in, I was like, "That is just so cute! Yeah. I love this baby." <laughs> Too cute, little doll with the flaming red hair. I she know, looks gorgeous. Yeah, but then they got me in that one moment when um, Naomi was saying that I did think that maybe we might lose Janine. All along, I was like, "No, no, she'll be fine. She's always fine." But then the goodbye piled on, and I went, "Wait a minute." They are going to kill off Janine. But, of course, <laughs> no. <laughs> that was one bait and switch I did not fall for. I, the okay. whole time I was like, she'll be fine, guys. Chill out. <laughs> mm, yeah. I went to the brink. <laughs> but then she's fine. She's fine, guys. So clearly she woke up. She's in the uh, the chair outside. So no words yet. There's one look to Lydia, isn't no. there? But then, yes, obviously Lydia has made this big promise and... I, for one, can't wait to see what comes of it. That look she gave her was pretty haggard. She was she looked pretty broken. It'll be really mm. interesting to see what, what state she's in as she yeah. recovers. And did anybody else notice? I might just be reading into things now. But <laughs> but that colour that blue colour came back again. When Where? In the hospital when Janine's woken up. So when when we uh see Lydia wake up and see the empty bed. Uh-huh, the kind yeah. of medium shot there, there's this really kind of bright blue cabinet, hospital cabinet sitting <laughs> in the centre of the of the frame. And it's that same, like, uh, you know, bright sky blue colour. I haven't noticed this yet. That was in the in the previous episode with, with Luke and June. I just, uh, yeah, I'm going to see it everywhere now. It's weird. All right. <laughs> you can be on Blue Watch. <laughs> yeah, I'm on Blue Watch. <laughs> Amazing. Work out um, what it means. Yes, yes, yes. Well, you said last time it was where June was growing the grass. 
Yeah, it's almost like a kind of moments of touching back to earth or mm. like kind of moments of daylight of, of, of seeing things as they are. So Cutting through yeah. the normal colours, cutting I'm through gonna the, the ad colours. Yeah, I'm going to work on that metaphor as yeah. we go along the season. <laughs> okay, <laughs> only ep three. We'll have it down pat by, <laughs> by the finale. All right, and so then obviously the episode ends with Serena touching down, but Lily has given June the heads up, obviously. We see... Good Lord, this renter crowd, the candle carriers, they are everywhere, aren't I they? Know. <laughs> There's the Serena lookalike reflected <laughs> yeah. in the window. They have a moment. And then, hello, ambush in that small laneway. <laughs> Not a great security detail, I have to say. But uh, anyway, knock, knock at the window. Guess who's there? It's your worst nightmare, June Osborne. <laughs> She's mad, so. Never touch my daughter again. Drive the car. Never touch my daughter again. Drive the car. Demon back June. It up now. Oh my god, her voice was like a demon. <laughs> that was amazing. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah, it was a great moment. Very good ending. This is precisely why Serena said she needs a security detail, you know, to protect her from those who wish to harm her. Yeah. I mean, I thought she meant Gilead, but... <laughs> no, I thought she meant June. Yeah, because, like, as if June would ever hurt someone with a baby, you know? Like, like, like we know we know June and we know that she would never do that. I did enjoy that the last moment that we see of Serena, she's in retreat, which, um, which I quite enjoyed. But the other thing that I really liked, and so, like, you know, forgive me for this one, but shout out to June's car... Um, <laughs> Subaru. <laughs> yes. Speaking of someone who also has an old dented Subaru, <laughs> I like that we see June a lot so far this season driving. Mm. Um, and there's something powerful in that, you know, because women don't get to drive in Gilead. And I think that the only time we ever saw a woman drive in Gilead was actually Emily when she um, ran yeah. over a guard. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Which was some of her oh. best work. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, and there was that time she drove out to see the aunt and then just kept driving because the woman was <laughs> hanging from the rafters. Remember last, last well, that was Yeah, that was in Canada. So, yeah, yes. so I think in Gilead, the only time we've seen someone drive, I think, was Emily that time. But other than that, you never see a woman driving there. So I am enjoying that June's kind of driving herself everywhere. I, this is happening a lot, you know. First episode, <laughs> she's in that car and she's out, you know. Second episode there, um, she was off in the car again. But also, this is a little bit more silly, but... It was so funny how the car was blocking the tunnel and the way it was posed, it almost felt like Knight Rider, that like like the car had its own personality. <laughs> I was like, yeah, go the Subaru. Yeah. While we're on the subject of June and cars, remember that ridiculous car that was in the garage in the episode where she had the baby and she yeah, tried yes. to get out, and it, but it just wouldn't and it was a metaphor for oh yeah Nicole, Holly and her tummy. But, yeah, that, like that was the car. She couldn't go anywhere in Gilead when she tried to. <laughs> Steal a car, a, a ridiculous muscle car, which was amazing. I can't believe we haven't mentioned this, but there was a moment in the episode where I thought, oh, Fiona's going to like that. And it was <laughs> where um, Moira mentions Holly. She says, oh, I had that in my notes. I forgot to get to it. <laughs> Absolutely. I am there for everything. <laughs> Thank you, Natalie. I forgot to bring that up. Yes, my heart does sing a little bit when they mentioned Holly. I love Jerry Jones and was very disappointed to hear she couldn't make last season because of COVID. She was meant to be in some episodes. But any hint of Holly, I just think she's June's North Star. Yeah. I still hold out hope that she's survived in the colonies. Mm. Tough old broad mm. that she Me is. Too. I hope she comes back. Mm. Yeah, more cherry flashbacks, please. Mm. Thank you, Natalie. <laughs> um, I also wondered when they went to that outpost, 
Is that where Oprah does the radio Ooh. freedom broadcasts? You know, I thought, oh my god, waking so up to funny. an Oprah cameo. <laughs> <laughs> Is Oprah in Canada now? Yes, <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> Anywho, um, did anyone else think that that final shot where where June turns around and walks away from the camera was reminiscent of the scene in Beneath the Overpass where she handed yes. Nicole to Emily to escape Gilead? Yes, it did ring yes. familiar. I thought they were they were harking back to that there. And a train went past as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I, I was also, it was just beautiful the way the like it, it blurred and the lights were flashing and the train was going past. And then I did feel like it seemed familiar and I couldn't remember where from, but that's right, Haiti. Good for pointing that out. Mm. They're all referencing each other. It's so good. <laughs> so it's a rich tapestry. Um, predictions. Where are we at? What's going on? So, oh, Serena goes back to the detention centre. So she would have been freeing Gilead to go and marry whoever she wants. But back when they land, she's off the detention centre again. What's her situation? I know we're speculating last week, but I still don't quite know. Yeah, I don't. That's a very good question because it's not like the Americans slash Canadians have given her up to go be this ambassador, right? Mm. Um, yeah. He did just say for now. And she's um, going to wait for her allowance from Gilead to come through and her staff <laughs> and her staff member and her, you know, whatever else. That's true. It takes a couple of days for the transfer. So unless they Oscar it. But um, yes, who is going to be on her staff? That's what I would like to know. Oh, good There's question. Casting. Oh, my God. That blonde woman in the window. Uh ding 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 her Aryan princess sidekick i think it's really exciting to have her back in in canada because there's so much potential there with she's clearly got this following there kind of ready to do her bidding and follow her she just kind of has to realize that power so i think she's going to really go hard down that path this season well it's interesting does serena change um not sure but she's just been rejected by Gilead and Mm. I don't think she takes rejection very well Mm. and um when is she actually like on like I know I said kind of you know wake up wake up to this Serena when is she going to wake up you know like she has now been rejected from Gilead but they now want her to be the the lovely face of it does she still want to do that like you know she actually has a whole other opportunity in Canada does she actually want to do this well I think she does because she's got her fangirls in Canada. She's got someone to keep feeding her ego. And if she ditches the whole Gilead thing, she's a little bit adrift, right? Like her identity is entirely tied to that. I feel like I feel like those fangirls and boys are going to keep her going. I think absolutely because, I mean, that whole spiel she was giving to Ella about, you know, all the good things, it's a shame you can't see all the good we've achieved. And I thought, name three things, but um, <laughs> yeah. name one. But I thought, you know, from Canada, she has all the care, no responsibility because it's not, yeah. she doesn't have to put up with all the idiot men, mm-hmm. but only enough to make sure the, the money comes through. But yeah, you know, she can live her life ostensibly and pretend, you know, she can soak up the, the garbage and, and, and spread it and create her own little following. I don't know. Yeah, I think she's still, I agree. Like, yes, what what's the immediate rebound after being rejected? But I feel like Serena's always going to Serena, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, she loves projecting yeah. the reality she wants to see and and not and living in denial of the reality she's actually in. Mm. I think she'll do well in Toronto. Good for her. <laughs> she likes being a firebrand and so she can <laughs> continue to play that role in Canada more effectively. Yeah, and I'm still thinking, well, A, I can't believe it's taken me an hour to name check my Elizabeth Moss interview, but here we go. Um, yeah. you know, she did hint that, you know, there is this 
moment where June is going to hold out hope again of maybe wooing Serena so that, you know, there's still some sort of interaction that they've got to come, I think. I hope it was a little hint. Also, Serena has to keep Serena because June needs something to fight against. It's the face-off that's been established for the whole season. So Serena will Serena, June will June. We'll love it and watch. <laughs> <laughs> and we are, we are here for it. So at the moment we still don't know Esther's fate. Um, yes. So does she survive or not? But I think we still suspect that she's the woman that we saw in the trailer who looked yes. like she was being tortured in a bed, right? Yes. So yeah, there was some movement in a bit, yes. I'm pretty sure that was her. That looked like her. So, I yes, guess. I think she'll be okay. But in terms of what state of okay between her and Janine, that's the question. Yeah. And then I wonder, um, it looks like there is there is still, d- despite Lydia having um, a kind of change of heart in this episode, it does look like from the trailer that she's still going to be punishing Esther. So That's how, so how yeah. changed is she? I guess we'll find out. <laughs> exactly. Is the change of heart only in relation to Janine? Is it localised? Yeah. You know, Serena's going to Serena, June's going to June, Lydia's going to Lydia. We can... <laughs> And the other thing we haven't seen yet is um, what's going to happen with Luke is because it sounds like he's actually going to be the one that wants to go to Gilead for Hannah. I think so. We didn't quite get there in this episode, so I I do wonder if that's what we'll see. I agree because his attempts have all been stifled by the fact that he's the women calling the shots in Canada. Like he wasn't allowed to go to get that message to Nick to get Hannah. Like he's... His impulses can't he can't act on them here, but I don't not to say he'll have any power in Gilead, but um yeah, maybe he might you know reconcile that his best chance is going in. who knows? yeah, that's a good one. And where's June's head at? What do you reckon, Haiti? Yeah, I think June was in a pretty bad place at the end of this episode. She's just had that call with Nick that's kind of ended up in a dead end. Like she's realised that, you know, her reach within Gilead through Nick and Lawrence and and even Tuello to an extent has kind of reached as far as it will go and she still can't keep Hannah safe. So I think she's in a really interesting position where she's got the temptation of Serena, like access to Serena, keeping her in Canada, but she's got the temptation of needing to protect Hannah pulling her back to Gilead. So it'll be really interesting to see which path she kind of goes down. I agree. And also in being reminded of all the things she was able to achieve by being in Gilead, like Mm -hmm. getting the kids out, you know, all of these amazing achievements she had from being in there, I'm sure it's setting off alarm bells. She's still got in the back of her mind Emily's gone back. It's, um, yeah, you know, she knows the consequences of going after Fred and what impact that had on Hannah She's got to fight the impulse to lop off Serena's head as well for the same reason. You know, Mackenzie is out for her. Ooh, all right. That's Ep 3 done and dusted and we can't wait for Episode 4. Thanks for listening. We hope that helped. Um, we're off to go and I guess buy a secondhand Subaru. I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> episode 4 of Season 5 of The Handmaid's Tale will premiere on SBS and SBS On Demand on Thursday the 29th of September. Episodes are dropping a little earlier at SBS On Demand in the afternoon so if you cannot wait, get in there and we will have a new podcast recapping it ready for you and if If you prefer to watch on TV, it screens on SBS at 9.30pm. Thank you to my co-hosts, Sana Kadar, Natalie Hamley and Haiti Island. And thank you for listening. It is so good to be back and we love seeing what you're making of this series as it develops and as you watch along with us. 
Tell us more on Twitter. You can reach out and find me at anything but Fifi and use the hashtag EyesOnGilead. Heidi, where can we find you? At Heidi Island. Sana, where can we find you? At Sana underscore Kadar. And Natalie, what about you? At Natalie Hambly. And feel free to leave feedback while we have you and give us a rating and a review on your favourite podcast app. It helps other people to find the show. Give me your theories on the blue colour. (laughs) (laughs) Help Haiti out with this blue (laughs) colour. What do you think it means? So in the meantime, we've got weekly waits until new episodes drop. What is something you can recommend unprompted at SBS On Demand? What have you been watching, Natalie? I'm so excited that The Good Fight's back. I love that show. So between Handmaids and The Good Fight, I've been hanging out for those all year. Very good. Yeah, it's a good time. Haiti, what about you, channel manager of SBS On Demand? What have you been watching? Oh, I have to recommend Atlanta. It's one of my favourite shows and the final season is airing on SBS On Demand and SBS Viceland at the moment. It's the kind of creative brilliance of Donald Glover and a kind of wonderful takedown of white fragility among many other things. I can't recommend it enough. It's so good. So get in there. They're all streaming. Yeah, we have this week-long wait to uh, get to Handmaid's Tale episodes. So get in there and tell us what you've been watching. That'd be great. Eyes on Gilead is produced by me, Fiona Williams, and edited and mixed by Jeremy Walmart. You don't own me, I'm not your property, so take your dirty builders thinking I've off me. We have a uh, strict, no spies allowed policy. Until next time, don't let the bastards grind you down. <laughs>